0: Good morning. Sorry, we don't have a uh, video this week. Uh, Normally, we've been playing a video as we get up to start the sermon each week, and um, this is a completely new and original series, so there wasn't a church that had already done this I could steal one from, so uh, here we are. (laughs) Hope everybody's having a good day. As as Gretchen said earlier, it's a uh, beautiful Sunday. That little bit of rain we got earlier in the week was, uh, was big. Big help. Cleared out the skies. Helped uh, with those fires just a little bit. But I uh, hope uh, it's a good sa- Sunday following a good Saturday. Well, if you guys were like me, it was a pretty good Saturday for us. Sooners won a big game last night. Uh, the, the Ducks won. Yay! The Beavers played. <laughs> um, From, from what I could tell, it looked like they showed up, but uh, they played, so, yeah, that probably won't be the last college football statement I make today, just just a little heads up there, so, hey, we're starting a brand new series today, it's called Adverbs, uh, and I want to spend just a little bit of time this morning kind of setting this series up. Uh, this is a series that that's, uh, we've been talking about and planning for a long time, I mean, going back to... Uh, earlier in the year we've been talking about this series, and had it specifically set up to start this week. Uh, I kind of wanted to wait till summer was over, school started back, and we kind of got this series going uh, long before I got here. Uh, this, this church existed uh, long before I got here, believe it or not, um, and, and did things pretty well for a long time a long time too. but th- this church had a mission for a long time to help people say yes to Jesus. Ever since I got here, uh, going back at end of last year and, and really focusing early on this year, we kind of started uh, sitting down as a leadership and taking that statement of, of we want to help people say yes. And I, I started asking our leadership, okay, how? How are we going to do that? How are we going to help people say yes to whatever their next step is with Jesus? And we just started kind of grilling us on this. And... and If you know me, I kind of like to take things and then peel the the layer back a little bit, peel the onion back a little bit. And so the how are we going to do this then turned into another question we have to answer first. Who are we? Who are we as a church? Who are we going to be moving forward with this mission so that we can help people say yes to Jesus, however that may be? And so we sat down and I I, I challenged the leadership. I said, I want to come up with some core values. What is it that we as a church value above all else? And in this, we can make a list. This list can be uh, three things, four things, six things. We didn't want it to get too long because eventually, if you have everything as a value, then nothing stands out. So we wanted certain things to stand out above others. But we came up with six values. And the reason I pushed this was because of a statement I heard uh, Craig Groeschel make. He's the lead pastor of Life Church in Oklahoma City. Uh, he said that that we believe the number one force that shapes the culture of any organization is its values. Why, he said, because this, what you value determines what you do. What you value determines what you do. So we decided uh, to to, to take this and run with this, and we've done two things. First, we wanted to fully flesh out what our values are, uh, basically what we treasure most as a church. And I've said this, our mission may change from time to time, our values will not. They will stay anchored down, and they keep us as a church kind of anchored to what we believe we're supposed to do. But second, we wanted to articulate these values into an action statement. Here comes kind of my former teacher, my grammar nerd coming out a little bit. We wanted to make these action statements, not just a phrase, but a statement. Here's why. Values are only valuable if you put them into action. We could come up with all sorts of fancy statements, we could make signs, we could plaster them all over the building, but unless it actually changes what we do, we've just kind of wasted our time, our money, and our resources. And we've just put up decorations, more or less. So we wanted to make sure that whatever we're coming up with, these are action statements that trigger you to move forward in your walk with Jesus, and that us as a church can move forward with our mission. Uh, Whether you have been a member here from day one, at Redwood, I know there's a handful that still are. They've been here, uh, gosh, almost 40 years now as a member of this church, or whether this is your day one at Redwood. We have some people visiting for the very first time today. Basically what we're saying is we're taking these statements and we're saying if you come here, we want you to be doing these things. See, I mentioned the football games yesterday. I sat and watched games all day. Uh, As my wife will tell you, that's her favorite thing about Saturdays in the fall is me sitting and watching college football all day. (laughs) And I sat on the couch all day long and and watched him, and part of it was over at a friend's house watching, so I sat on the chair at his house, but but whether I'm at, at home or whether I'm at one of the games, I'm sitting and watching. They're not letting me come down on the field and play, right? Church doesn't work that way. It's not a spectator sport. We don't want spectators at Redwood. We want participators. And so you all, as you come, we want you to be actively involved in and engaged in the mission and the ministry of Redwood Christian Church. See, I believe that that these statements are encouragements, but they're also challenges, because we want to push you further down your walk with Jesus. We want to get you tied into the ministry. So over the next few weeks, we're giving you these statements, these statements of challenge and of purpose, because they are encouraging, they are challenging, but most of all, they are kind of the, the thread that weaves the tapestry of this church together. But we didn't leave it just at a simple statement. Again, you know me, I'm peeling the layer back, I'm adding to it, I'm going a step further. We didn't just make a simple action statement. We were very intentional in the wording of it. And so with each statement, not only did we make it an action statement, we put an adverb in there with it. Kinda hints the title of this series, Adverbs. And the subtitle is, How We Take Our Next Steps. See, for me it's not enough just to tell you what I'm going to do, I want to tell you how I'm going to do it. And so we sat down as as leadership. We were intentional. We were thorough. And I'll be honest, we had a little bit of fun with this. As we were coming up with with the the adverbs to fit each one of our statements, we were using things like we will reluctantly serve others or we will uh, selectively love our neighbors. And, you know, kind of some of those things we do anyway. But uh, we were very intentional. Because we wanted to demonstrate in our wording and, and articulate in our wording what we believe we're supposed to be doing here, so here 's my hope setting up this series over the next six weeks, starting today, you get an incredible picture of who we are as a church here at Redwood and if you're visiting with us th- that you'll give us a six week trial run because you're going to find out what we are truly passionate about and what it is we are trying to do and accomplish, and how specifically. We hope to fulfill the great commission here at Redwood. We hope that that through these six statements, we're crafting a way that we can go into the world and make disciples and baptize them and teach them to be like Jesus. So today we're gonna hit our first statement and our first adverb. And by the way, these are are on the back of your program. We have started putting these on the back of your program every week because we want you to see these, we want you to, to know these every single week. So today our first statement Our first adverb is relentlessly, and our first statement is this. We will relentlessly pursue a deeper, transforming relationship with God. We will relentlessly pursue a deeper, transforming relationship with God. In Ephesians, Paul writes this letter to uh, this church in in a town called Ephesus. And and as Paul typically does in his letters, he starts off his, his letter with an introduction, but then he usually gives a prayer, And and he gives a thanksgiving. And in in Ephesians 1, 15, Paul says this, Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped loving, or I'm sorry, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul's prayer of thanksgiving to his church, I, I love this. It's so rich, it's so almost fatherly in a way. And he prays and he gives thanks to God for those who are coming. And he praises God for them. And I love this because to me this is something every good pastor should be doing. Every good pastor should be hitting his knees daily, thanking God for the people in his church and praising God for the people in his church and praying for the people in his church. One of these days I'm going to start doing all that. (laughs) But, But that's what Paul does. But I think it's beyond just pastors. I think it's church leaders. I think it's, 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 it's key volunteers. I think it's everybody. Are you spending time every day thanking God for your church and for the people in your church, not just for the leaders, but for everybody? For everybody who comes, are you praising God for your church and praying for them? But Paul goes on, and, and he starts giving kind of this encouragement in verse 17. He says, I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, uh, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in all the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. I, I love that. I love that encouragement, that, that challenge that Paul issues out to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus. See, it's, it's important for the church to pray for its people, to thank God for its people, but even more important, I think, or just as important, I think, is that the church is moving people forward, that we're not just staying in one place. That's why we talk about saying yes to your next step, whatever that is. Maybe that's your first step. Maybe you've been on this path your whole life. Maybe you're uh, get, getting up there in, in miles, you're getting to closer to mile 24, 25 of your marathon. I'm not trying to say some of you all are about to die, but I'm just saying maybe you're running your race and you've been in your race for a long time. Wherever you are, we want to encourage you and push you and, and challenge you to get to that next step. I think that's kind of what he's getting at here. His prayer for the Ephesian church specifically is they would get the spirit of revelation, the spirit of wisdom, so that they could come to know God more. And that's my prayer for you all, that you would come to know God more. That's why this value is so important to us. That's why we made it number one on our list. That's why this is the first of this series is because of of everything else. If I accomplish nothing here as pastor other than getting this church to know more about God and to develop a deeper understanding about the the Jesus that we follow, then I'll feel like I have succeeded at least to some level. Don't get me wrong, that's not the only thing I hope to accomplish, but I think that's, that's important. That's what we need to be doing is moving forward in our walk with Jesus. And, and, and here's the thing this boils down to with me. Every day when I'm studying, when I'm reading, when I'm praying, the more I get to know about Jesus, who he was, who he is, his, his very nature, his personhood, all of his divine traits, the more I just can't help but want to take off and run on that path and just get deeper and deeper into the pool with him. That, that's, that's how I feel when I'm drawn in this direction. And my hope is that you all will feel the same way. See, our goal as a church and my goal as a pastor is to introduce to you and then help you say yes to whatever that next step is. Whether, again, that's your first one or whether you've been on these steps for years. But my hope is that as you take each step, you're knowing more and more about Christ. But here's kind of a little catch to this. At least I believe this. You can't follow who you don't know. Or maybe we should phrase this differently. You shouldn't follow who you don't know. We do that all the time, right? I mean, we, we see this. We follow certain celebrities or, or certain politicians or certain people, and we really don't know that much about them. We just like what they're telling us. We follow trends, but when it comes to Jesus, I don't want to follow him just because the trend tells me I should. I want to follow him because I've gotten to know him so well that I can't help but do anything else. And, and so for me, what I want to help you all with is understand not just who you're following, but why you're following not just that you understand just who Jesus is, but why you want to follow him more and more. Again, I, I just can't help but, but follow him the more I get to know him. But I think too often we seek this, this understanding of, of who we are by trying to learn more about our world around us. So we seek a better understanding of, of everything that, that takes place in us, and we start basing who we are and, and our meaning in life and our purpose in life on what we do. What we enjoy, our hobbies, our, our jobs, our interests, our political leanings, maybe our socioeconomic standing in life, even our college football colors. <laughs> <laughs> we, we do that, right? I, I saw a, a satirical, and I, I say satirical lightly, uh, joke the other day on, on, on Twitter, said that college football is now the second biggest religion in the state of Texas. I don't think that's a joke. I, I, I say that, I, I love college football. But the passion that we see people follow, man, if that translated over to the church, if people were here and, and, and were cheering, it'd be great if we had a marching band in the back corner. And, <laughs> and um, you know, I mean, heck, if I preached a great sermon, you guys could throw Gatorade on me after it was over. I don't care, whatever. <laughs> That's just the point. The passion that you're there, the atmosphere that when you're there, man, if we brought that to the church and we followed Jesus with that same vigor, if we had just as much desire to know Jesus as much as we want to follow and root our teams on, to wins, how amazing could the church be? See, I think it boils down like this. The more we study his word, the more we get to know Jesus, and the more we get to know God, I think the more we get to understand his grace, and the more we start appreciating the cross and the sacrifice that came so we could have that grace. How do we do this? How do we start getting onto this, this thought of this deeper, more transforming relationship with God? There's a variety of ways we can do this. I'm just gonna give you a few quick thoughts and we'll, we'll call it a day. Number one, to get to a deeper, more transforming relationship, you have to look beyond what you can see and look to God instead. Look beyond what you can see and look to God instead. Now let's face it, we are, we're human. We, we live in the practical, we live in the, the kind of the realistic, if you will. We don't like to think outside of that bubble sometimes. We're doers, we like to take care of ourselves, and so we start finding our identity in those things. And, and, and we use labels, we identify ourselves. I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, I'm a, I'm a duck, I'm a beaver, I'm a Sooner, whatever. We, we, we put these labels of things we like and that we do on us. But here's one catch to that. We aren't made for this world. We aren't created to live in this world. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a a citizen of that kingdom who just so happens to be living in this country, in this state, in this county, and in this town. So we have to remember that, that when we're created, or that that when we follow God, we, we accept that reality, that identity, that we are a creation of God, created in his image, not in the image of the world. That's why John wrote this in in the first chapter of his gospel. John 1, chapter 12, he says, To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born, get this, not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Where does your identity lie? Again, if I start thinking my earthly identity, I can tell you my story, and and I can, can tell you how I'm labeled in the world. I was born uh, to, to a guy named Kelly and a, a woman named Kathleen in Oklahoma in 1982. And I can, again, start taking this and, and, and profile myself down. I can tell you, I'm a firstborn. I'm a, I'm a high S on the disc scale. I am a, a, a borderline Gen X millennial. I am a... Uh, A Caucasian middle class male who happens to be a husband, a father, a son, a brother, and a pastor, uh, an Oklahoman who graduated from the University of Oklahoma, so I'm a proud sooner. I could tell you all those labels. You could probably do the same thing with you. You could start labeling everything that the world wants to label about you and identify yourself that way. That's what we do. How does God label us? How does the Bible label us? With statements like this You're the salt of the earth. It's up to you to preserve the gospel. Or he'll say this, you're the light of the world. It's up to you to shine the light of of God into your world. And as Jesus says that through you and through your good deeds, people will see the Father and come worship me. Or he'll say this, you're a new creation. So you know what? All those labels I just gave you, they don't matter. They're all washed away. They're gone. I'm a new creation. I'm a child of God. Or this one, you're more than a conqueror. I love that one. There's nothing, there's no government, there's no person, there's there's no power, God says, on earth that can overcome you. Or this one might be my favorite one. You're a co-heir with Christ. In other words, when the kingdom comes, you get to inherit it with Jesus. And here's the best part about all these. All those labels I gave you a minute ago, the, 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 the individual labels, Gen X, Oklahoma, et cetera, et cetera, those are exclusive to me. That whole package of of labels is exclusive to me. These five I just gave you that God gives us, they're for all of us. That's the best part. That's how we are identified. But see, here's the thing. We don't necessarily see that. That's why Hebrews talks about faith being the things we can't see, the hope for what we're not certain for. The, or the, the hope of what we can't see and the certainty of what we, what we don't know is coming next. That's faith. That's what we're here for. And when I start considering these statements of Jesus, when I start thinking about what Paul writes here, I begin to focus more on who I am rather than what I do. And who God made me to be on, as opposed to who I'm trying to make myself become. If you want to pursue relentlessly a deeper transforming relationship with God, That's what it is about. It's about looking beyond our circumstance, looking beyond where we are in life right now and embracing the fact that we are a kingdom citizen right here, right now. Number two, if you want to relentlessly pursue God, immerse yourself in communication with God. I say immerse myself, I'm using the same phrase I would talk about with with baptism. I'm talking about getting drenched completely under the water in communication with God. Each one of these, these core values, again, we made them an action statement, but we gave each one of them kind of a, a paragraph to go along with it. And in each paragraph, there's a challenge statement. And for this particular value, we say at Redwood, we challenge every one of you, member, attendee, whatever, every one of you, we challenge you to spend time every single day in prayer and in the word. That doesn't sound like too much to ask, is it? We should be doing that anyway as Christians. Every day we challenge you to pray and read. But see, prayer too often, I think it's viewed as this method of how we just talk to God. And specifically how we bring our needs to God. And and, and we do that. We we, we take this wish list to Him too often. But do you ever allow prayer to change you, to sculpt you, to mold you? Do you? Uh, That's a challenge that I know I struggle with sometimes. But I was reminded of a quote, Soren Kierkegaard, a 19th century theologian. He said this He said, The function of prayer is not to influence God, but rather to change the nature of the one who prays. I mean, think about that. The, 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 the function of prayer is not to influence God, it's not to change his mind or talk him into something, it's to change the nature of the one who is praying. So when you pray, are you hoping to talk God into something? or change his mind, or change his will? Or are you hoping it changes you? I mean, I'll be honest, too often, that's, that's my prayer. God, do this for me, or do this for somebody else. God, heal this person. God, take care of, of people that, that are in need. I mean, we're doing that right now. We're praying for people in Florida. If you've seen the weather map this morning, literally the entire state of Florida is underneath a hurricane right now. Or Texas, where there's still underwater from one a few weeks ago or how about this entire region of the country california oregon washington idaho montana just all on fire we 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 should pray for those things that god could intervene i love what gretchen said earlier we prayed that god would bring some rain he did it rained here this week and just that little bit we got made all the difference in the world we should pray for our needs, we should take our needs to God. He wants us to, but remember when you're praying, it's not like you're just going to the doctor giving him a list of your aches and pains. It Doesn't work that way. It's not like you're just sitting down with a buddy at Dutch Brothers and just just chatting and having a casual conversation. Prayer needs to change you. And as we pray, we need to sometimes get our mindsets out of the way and let God mold us in that. I think that's why Paul wrote this in, in Romans chapter 12. One of my favorite scriptures, he says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Verse two, he says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I love that. There's a lot of depth in that passage and a lot of meaning in that passage, but I think Paul's, one of his points in there is that as we seek God, as you're diving into this deeper and transforming relationship with him, you need to be able to to get rid of all the baggage and all the garbage that we, we carry in our lives every day so that we can find out exactly who God wants us to be. So again, when you pray, are you praying that you can talk God into doing what you want him to do? Or are you praying that God will change you into who he wants you to be? That's a challenge I think we need to hold on to. We want to relentlessly pursue God, relentlessly pursue a deeper and transforming relationship. You have to look beyond what you can see, and you have to immerse yourself in communication. But finally, you have to trust the Spirit to direct your life. Trust the Spirit to direct your life. I'll be honest, this is the simplest and the most difficult part of this. It's the simplest to grasp and understand, but sometimes it's the hardest to put into action. And each one of these points, I mean, let's face it, I could do a sermon series on each point here. So you're getting the condensed version today. But I want to sum this up quickly. We're talking about letting the Spirit direct your life. It, It involves a couple of things. First, you have to trust God's plan for your life. And again, that's tough for us. Because again, we're doers. Especially guys, we're doers. We like to take care of things. We don't like to have to ask for help or rely on other people but we have to trust God. See, I think I have myself figured out. I think I have my direction and and, and what comes next for me figured out. But God created me. And so as much as I think I know it, he knows it far better than I could possibly grasp or understand. There's a story in the Old Testament about this guy named Abram. Perhaps you've heard of him. Abram uh, later becomes known as Abraham, but in his story, starting in Genesis 12, God basically tells him, hey, you're like 75 years old, but I want you to pick up and move to a place you've never heard of. Leave everything you've ever known, your family, leave it all behind, and go over here to do some things I want you to do. I'll explain more on the way. Abraham does it. That's the coolest part of the story. He does it. And and God makes this string of promises to him. And, and what I love about Abraham is I know there had to be moments where his faith was, was stretched and where his faith was challenged. But Genesis 15, verse 6, it says, Abraham believed the Lord and God credited to him as righteousness. Now get this. God is considering Abraham holy or righteous or virtuous or upstanding, whatever you want him to use, simply because of his faith. Nothing else. Simply because he believed. I don't know what, what you think about your life. For me, when, when I'm at the end of my life, when, when they're given my funeral, if they can't say anything else about me, I hope the one thing they can say about me is man, this guy had faith. This guy believed. Even if everything goes sideways, if my life gets dumped upside down and I, I wind up a mess when, when, when my time comes, I hope they can still say that about me because I hope I have lived like Abraham did that I can be called faithful, that I can be called, uh, that I I was was able to believe in him and that God could count it to me as righteousness. See, we get impatient and we we struggle sometimes when we don't get the answers that we want or need. But look at Abraham. In Genesis 12, God gives him a string of like seven promises. And most of those don't get fulfilled in Abraham's lifetime. I mean, just, just here's three quick ones. He promises him that he's gonna have a son. It was 25 years later that God fulfilled that promise. He tells them that that you're gonna become a great nation. In other words, your lineage is gonna produce a great nation. That's 400 years later. You start doing your math in the Old Testament that the nation of Israel begins. And he says, through you and through your family, the entire world is gonna be blessed. That's Jesus. That's 2,000 years later that that takes place. Think about it. Abraham lived the same distance from Jesus that we do on the other end of it. But Abraham believed that God was going to take care of him. He allowed the Spirit to lead him and guide him and direct him. In the New Testament, we read about this with Paul. Paul, uh, in in Acts 20, talks about the Spirit leading him where he's going. He's on this journey, and you have to think Paul had a plan. Paul knew where he wanted to go. He knew what he wanted to do. He was pretty sure of himself. Yet in Acts 20, he says, basically, hey, the Spirit's going to tell me when to go and when to stay. And, and the Spirit leads him to Jerusalem, and he knows going into Jerusalem, some bad stuff's about to happen. He knows he's gonna be captured, arrested, and it's probably gonna be the end for him. But he's like, hey, the Spirit tells me to go here, I'll go. The Spirit tells me to stay here, I'll stay. He trusts the Spirit over his own will. Are you willing to allow the Spirit to guide you? Are you willing to say, all right, I think I know best, but you know better? If we're not, we need to figure out how to do that. And again, be honest, that's not easy to do. It's easy to grasp, it's not easy to put that into action. But when you do that, you're basically saying God, uh, to God, I trust you that you can direct me, that you can lead me into the path you know best for me because you know the perfect will for me. You have my days planned out. And when you do that, you're going to allow God to put you in a position to have a greater impact on the kingdom than you could possibly imagine on your own. So when you uh, can allow God to direct your path, you'll be able to step further into your walk with him. It's that simple. So that's how we do this. Our first statement, we will relentlessly pursue a deeper, transforming relationship with God. It is our hope, our desire, our core belief that everyone who comes to Redwood would be passionate about moving into a deeper relationship with God. That's what we're here for as a church, to help bring people along. Again, whether you've been here since day one or whether today is your day one, that we will move you along and help you become more like Jesus. That's why we preach Jesus every week. Sometimes it's hard to preach, sometimes it's easy to preach, but we preach it because we want you to understand what Jesus wants us to understand. We stress who he is and who he was, who his personhood was because as a body, as a church, we want to grow together together. and again, we we run this race knowing that it's a race we're never fully going to finish. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great uh, 20th century church martyr, said this, and while it is good to see, uh, to know the Holy One, it is probably not so good to presume that we'll ever complete the task. In other words, he's saying, we will constantly learn more and more about God knowing we're never gonna know it all. We're never going to figure it all out. We're never going to be able to fully wrap our minds around God. That's okay. We're going to do it anyway. And we're going to do this relentlessly. I want to close today by reading another prayer Paul has. Later on in this letter to the Ephesians, he he prays another prayer. So uh, pray this prayer with me as I read it. Paul says, For this reason, I kneel before the Father for whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know that this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And everybody said amen. Father, we're so thankful for this challenge. We're so thankful for your word. God, that we would push forward to relentlessly pursue you. God, we love you. We pray today in Jesus' name, amen.